0: We discovered that there were secrets that your body was trying to tell you that could really help you optimize performance. But no one could monitor those things. And that's when we set out to build the technology that we thought could really change the world. Welcome to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. At Whoop, we measure the body 24-7, and provide analytics to our members to help improve performance. This includes strain, recovery, and sleep. Our clients range from the best professional athletes in the world to Navy SEALs to fitness enthusiasts to Fortune 500 CEOs and executives. The common thread among WHOOP members is a passion to improve. What does it take to optimize performance for athletes, for humans, really anyone? We're launching a podcast to dig deeper, We'll interview experts and industry leaders across sports, data, technology, physiology, athletic achievement, you name it. My hope is that you'll leave these conversations with some new ideas and a greater passion for performance. With that in mind, I welcome you to the Whoop Podcast.
1: I will also note to begin that in the, in the realm of people focusing on data, I'm like way far in the extremes. Like I love it. It's really motivating for me. I think some people think it distracts from the love of the bike, but I think for me, it's part of it. Um, and part of what I love about cycling is the ability to focus on these things and, and make progress.
0: Hello, folks. My guest today is mountain bike world champion Kate Courtney. Last year, Kate won the 2018 UCI World Championships despite being the youngest competitor in the field, just 22 years old. And she is amazing. She turned pro in 2014 at the age of 18, but still managed to graduate from Stanford with a degree in human biology. Kate and I discuss everything she's done to reach the apex of her sport, including her love of data that led her to using Whoop for the past year. I think you're going to get a lot of insights into how she uses Whoop. We also talk about her training on the bike and in the gym, what her daily strain is like, how she prioritizes recovery, her love of meditation, habits that make her a self-described great sleeper. That's right, she knows how to sleep and the surprising piece of cooking equipment she always brings on the road with her. I had a lot of fun chatting with Kate. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Without further ado, here is Kate. Kate, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Happy to be here.
0: So I'm really impressed with your background. You're only 23 years old, and here you are winning all of these mountain biking competitions. How would you get into mountain biking?
1: Yeah, so I started mountain biking uh, when I was pretty young. I grew up close to where we're recording, actually, and we're in county where mountain biking was founded and just grew up kind of exploring the mountain on my bike, fell in love with it, but actually didn't start racing until high school. So ran cross country and and did a bunch of different sports, but uh, didn't discover that cycling could be competitive even till I was in high school and my high school had a team and I joined it.
0: So you joined the mountain biking team in high school and how many people are on it? Like what do you do on a weekly basis?
1: Yeah. So I started through the high school league, which um, actually right now in the States, there's a huge movement. Uh, it's called the National Interscholastic Cycling Association and they have teams across the country uh, at high school. So that was my start in the sport. Um, I was the only girl on a five person team. Um, and then I joined a local development team. So that was a little bit bigger and gave me the chance to start racing around the nation. Um, and later with USA Cycling, the national federation, I got the chance to go abroad and start with world cup racing.
0: So what was the moment when you realized that you were good at this?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it was, it was really interesting to me. I think my love of the competitive side of mountain biking and my love of the sport in general um, kind of developed separately. So I fell in love with cycling, riding with my dad as a kid on the mountain. Right. We'd go get pancakes and be outside. And, and I just loved you know, looking down and, and seeing how far you could go. Um, and that side has always stayed with me. But the competitive side, I think as soon as I lined up um, and raced that first time, it was a completely new experience for me. It was something where I felt um, I was challenged, you know, physically, technically, tactically, mentally. Mountain biking, I think, is really demanding because it's both very physical, but it requires a skill and a lot of thinking and um, tactics. So I I completely fell in love with it from the first race, I think.
0: And were you kicking all the guys' ass on the the (laughs) team that you were on? Like... What was well, the moment for you where you're like, wow, like I'm actually better than this, better at this than I was expecting?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the cool thing for me is that growing up, um, I was in a place where mountain biking was huge, and there were always people who are really talented. Right, so that makes sense. I was on a team where the guys were really competitive, and um, you know, the girls at just even in my high school league, we're the best in the nation. So I think it was really humbling for me at the start and and kept me chasing those guys and, and wanting to be able to keep up with them and wanting to ride harder and harder trails. And, they were always accepting and encouraging, and um, I think that's how I slowly started to build confidence and, and see little bits of progress as I kind of stayed longer and longer.
0: It's a good point. Like, if you grow up in, a, in an environment where it's considered, like, a good group of athletes for any sport, if you can just stand out in that neighborhood, then all of a sudden you realize you're really good at something. I remember I grew up in a neighborhood that was really good at lacrosse because I grew up on Long Island, and so, you know, a few of my friends that were, like, the best lacrosse players in that group Sure enough, went on to go play college lacrosse because, you know, it was just sort of a natural thing. Uh, but anyway, that's interesting that you, you grew up in this neighborhood where everyone was really good at it. So um, in 2012, you're the national junior champion, age 17. You become the first American woman to win a mountain bike World Cup event in the junior category. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, How would that make you feel? Were you just like, this is amazing? Or are you kind of like, all right, what's the next thing I can win?
1: I think it was both. So that year, 2012, was the first year that I raced World Cups. Um, and one thing you'll know about mountain biking is it's way more competitive in Europe. So it started in America, but in Europe they have mountain bike high schools. And oh, wow. if you go to a Swiss, uh, Swiss, even a local Swiss race, there's like hundreds of kids on push bikes racing. So they just have a level of love for the sport and kind of grassroots development that we're working on, but uh, are slowly catching up again. Um, so racing in the states for me was was one step, but as soon as I started racing internationally, it was a completely different ball game. And while I was able to take uh, one win that year, I think it was also um, definitely a turning point for me because I got my butt kicked in a lot of other races. Oh, okay, and uh, and really had to um, learn what it would take to to race with the European girls who had been kind of competing on these more technical courses and at a higher level for a lot longer. Um, a lot of them started when they were five or six and, and had been racing each other for years. And I really saw, you know, one, that that there was a possibility that I was close, that I could could be good at this. And I think that win was really important in, in seeing that potential, but also – I think more importantly, I saw how far I had to go and, and what types of things I needed to do to really be competitive.
0: Now, when you describe how far you had to go, right, like breakdown for the naive um, listener like myself even around the sport, what are sort of the things that you're even thinking about improving in mountain biking? I assume there's ways to improve speed and ways to improve certain courses and ways to improve technique. Like what are the, the sort of nitty gritty of how you improved?
1: Oh, there's so many things. That's one of my favorite things about the sport is that there's um, so many opportunities to improve. And I think you know my motto with my coach the last few years has been trying to be like a diamond cut on all sides and, oh, I and like that. really looking at each opportunity to maximize potential. Um, and I think at that time, my biggest opportunities for growth were technical skill. So in Europe, if you watch, um, any of the mountain bike world cups or you know any of the high level races, there's huge rock gardens and they would build um, man made drops and and just really like specific technical features. Uh, they have to be able to ride, so there'll be an A line and a B line, and the B line will be a lot slower. So that was one of the biggest um, areas for improvement for me. And then I think overall in the sport, it is an endurance sport, so training, fitness, totally hours on the bike, hours in the gym for me, yoga, mental preparation, sleep, recovery, uh, all these things are kind of on an equal level. And every year we identify a few to really focus on.
0: Makes a lot of sense. And so um, 2014, 2015, 2016, uh, you won the USA Cycling National Championships for your age group. So congratulations. (laughs) And then more recently... 2018, you won the cross-country mountain bike world championships as the youngest competitor in the field. First American woman to win the title in 17 years. Kate, come on.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty cool day.
0: So, good one. <laughs> so from 2014 to 2018, what do, you, what do you feel like you made the leaps in?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, my, my nutritionist always talks to me about pounding the rock. Like, you're pounding the rock and yeah. and it breaks on the 100th uh, below, but it wasn't that one. It was all the ones before. And that's really how I try to approach my training. And I think from kind of a young age, I was really drawn to numbers and data and chasing these little bits of progress. Um, and that's resulted in a lot of consistency. So for example, in U23, which is 19 to 22 years old, um, for the world cup category, I was eighth overall then fourth overall, then second overall, then one the overall. So oh, it's like awesome. every year I took a little step forward. Um, and for me to be able to take a, a really big step uh, in 2018, I think was a result of that really, really consistent progress and hard work. Um, and also just having a great day on the bike. I think, you know, you can say what you want about how hard we work and how hard we prepare, but... Um, at the end of the day, things come together in a certain way on those special rides. And it's really magical. And it's a product of all those things and a little bit of luck and and the right day and the right time.
0: Well, let's talk about the data side. I've come to realize how much uh, cyclists, bikers, I mean, you guys are geeks when it comes to data. And I totally respect that. But there's all sorts of different instruments and tools and then a lot of technical things related even to the bike. Let's just start with high level in the early stages of your career, so we're talking 2012, 2013, 2014. What were you doing from a data standpoint?
1: Okay, I will. I will also note to begin that in the in the realm of people focusing on data, I'm like way far in the extremes. Like I love it. Okay, it's really motivating for me. I think some people think it distracts from the love of the bike, but I think for me, it's it's part of it. Um, and part of what I love about cycling is the ability to focus on these things and and make progress. So. I've actually trained with a power meter since I was, mm, like, 17, 16. Yep. Um, so we are really early on that. And my dad actually was an analyst, so he loves the data, has been a huge um, kind of supporter in that. And, and it's actually kind of a fun thing we do together. We look at the numbers and, and strategize and have year over year over year. Um, so for power and heart rate, obviously, you know, our little – computers, I use a Garmin, they track time and distance and whatnot. So for me, having all that data year over year helps me see what areas I'm improving and where I can kind of have more room to grow.
0: Now with mountain biking, you're going down and up, correct? Mm -hmm. So will you also look at the slope alongside power and things of that nature?
1: Yeah, I think for me now, I've had um, an ability to race on a lot of the courses we race. So we have data from, for example. So it's looking at
0: historical data on every course. That makes sense. That's
1: been really a cool thing for me to see is, um, you know, if I race that course last year and I'm racing again this year, what can I see in that data? Um, that could help me prepare better for this event.
0: Well, I say this all the time with WHOOP, but you can only really manage what you measure. So by looking at all that data on a course, you're obviously identifying certain areas of weakness or strength, right? And then you want to target the weaknesses, I would think.
1: Completely. And yeah, it's the it's the old saying that what, me, what you measure improves. Um, and I feel that way certainly with my data on the bike and also with WHOOP, that's been a huge... Um, you know, way to quantify recovery that I've never had access to before.
0: So uh, first of all, it's awesome that you're on Whoop. Love yeah. that you're a Whoop user. Uh, when did you hear about the product and we'll cut you onto it?
1: Yeah. So I graduated in 2017 from college and, um, you know, that next year, 2018, was really a huge focus for me in terms of you know, I had I had time to train. Uh, all of a sudden, I didn't have to go to right. class. Right, and you're and like, hey,
0: this is my career, too, time right? time to train.
1: This is my career. I was insanely motivated and really excited to finally have the chance to focus full-time on it, and when we sat down and identified ways to improve, um, my coach and I always kind of point out a few different things that are going to be the focus of the year, and for that year, it was recovery. And he Perfect. actually turned me on to Whoop and said, Great. start using this. This is what we're doing. Um and for me, that was a huge benefit, especially, you know, being an athlete who's motivated, who now has time. Um, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much you can train, and that there's a there's definitely a risk of, you know, everyone says overtraining. Overtraining. Um, and for me, and I think especially with my coach, it's more of a management of under recovery. I don't really think you can overtrain. I think you can under recover. Um, and so interesting. yeah, I think it was a huge benefit that, that year. Um, I was able to train so much harder than I've ever trained before, but with a new level of appreciation for all the things that go into that. So napping every day, meditating, kind of seeing how um, life stress or, or just adding you know more activities into your day if you're constantly running around, if you're constantly running errands, um, those yeah, it, things it takes a load your on your body yeah
0: yeah. So let's walk through um a day in the life of Kate. So you wake up in the morning at mm-hmm. what time?
1: Seven thirty or eight. It, I like give myself the half an hour if you're training you extra hard. It. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so you get up, what's the first thing you do?
1: Meditate. So I
0: Awesome. And what kind of right meditation away. practice do you do?
1: Um it's fluctuated over the years. So for me I've realized like I love meditation. I actually I TA this was Was really helpful when I was in school. I TA'd a meditation course um, every spring. And so when I was racing, I not only got to TA this two hour meditation course every week, which is a fantastic help to my training and racing in the spring, but I also got a lot of credits for it. So that was.
0: So you were meditating in school. Yeah. Gosh, I think it would have made me like a way better student and like young person. I definitely would have been a little less wild. I I find meditation just so incredibly beneficial in my life.
1: Yeah. What kind of a practice do you have?
0: Uh, I've been doing transcendental meditation for about four years now.
1: Awesome.
0: Yeah. And I got into it. It was kind of like this moment of crisis where I just felt like with my business and my life, I was just strung out, you know. And so I needed to do something, and I got, I, I took a a TM course for four days, which you know costs like a thousand dollars. So there was that sunk cost thing too. Where I was like, I just spent a silly amount of money on this, you know, four hour course. I have to now commit to this, and honestly, it's the best money I've ever spent. I really believe that because. Ever since I've just gotten a lot better, I feel like, at um, managing stress. And also it it takes you out of your, your own head and I think in a really healthy way. I mean I'm curious what it's like for you, but for me, when I'm meditating most effectively, it's almost like I'm looking at myself in the third person. You yeah. know? Yeah. It ha- gives
1: you a perspective. It of- does.
0: And then sometimes throughout the day, right, you feel that. At least I do, where you realize you're about to say something you shouldn't say or you're about to have an emotion like, oh, Will's about to get angry. Like I actually hear myself yeah. say that before it happens, whereas before it just would sort have of happened, you know, yeah. and then you're reacting to your own, uh, yeah. you know, your own mistakes or your own uh, inability to control yourself.
1: I completely connect with that. I think that's been one of the most interesting things, is just the self awareness piece. Yeah. Where I feel like with meditation there's this middle part where you like are now aware of what you're doing, but you can't quite change it yet with certain things. Um so I always say that to my family. I'm like, I know that I'm gonna be really stressed out and I'm gonna try my best. But <laughs> so, like yeah. you know, it's it's an understanding of how your mind works and like why you might be feeling an emotion and where it's coming from. And that's helped me a lot in racing as well. And I think, um, so I do back to my, what my practice is. I, I decided, um, you know, I was doing the, it's the mindfulness based stress reduction, John Kabat-Zinn class that I was doing. And I really liked that, but the length of time was really difficult. So for me, like 15 minutes a day is perfect and I'll do it every single day. But if I try to go 20, 25, if I try to go longer, it becomes sporadic and I can't, you know, every day I'll be like, well, you know, it's bad weather and I got to get out of my bike or, you know, you just, it's harder for me to do it. So I finally just said, no judgment. I'm going to do what works for me 15 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. And that's been huge because now it's part of my routine and it's how I reset to start my day. Um, And I think as you're saying, the biggest thing for me has been that perspective, that seeing things from a new vantage point, totally. um, that allows you to understand that there's a different way to look at it. So, I was telling you, I just came back from the Pan American Championships in Mexico. Right. Um, and it was a crazy event. It's hectic. You know, we have to drive an hour from the hotel to the venue. And it's just um, a really exciting but, but very demanding event. And thousands of
0: fans screaming, Kate, Kate, Kate.
1: So the fans there—it was—it was difficult for me to be honest. Um, I think I'm a competitor that goes in before races. I like to really focus. I like to have all my stuff lined up and get my perfect little preparation in. And of course, I'm—I'm I'm flexible and adaptable. But I think that quiet internal time is really important for me. Totally. Any time I was at the venue, people—I couldn't stop. People would grab me, taking selfies, kids surrounding me. Um, and I had to like, luckily my mom and my mechanic were there and they kind of like insulated me when, when possible. And we did signings and pictures and really tried to manage it. But it was really overwhelming. And I think for me having time to sit with that and, and in my meditation, I kind of had the realization of like, wow, how cool is it that these people like know who I am, that they love cycling, which is something I love. Like that's something we share amazing that they're out here to watch this bike race. It's 85 degrees, and we're at 6,000 feet of elevation. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of cranky about being here, and they're so excited. Right, right. Um, standing in the sun all day, cheering me on. They knew who I was. They yelled for me in the race, even though you know I was a foreign competitor, and there was a Mexican racer who was also competing for the title. So it just – Having that moment to sit and be like, wow, this is a frustrating, overwhelming experience. Like, I understand why I feel this way. But I also understand if I flip my vantage point, like, this is amazing fuel. Like, let's take this energy of these people. Let's appreciate this opportunity I have and use it as fuel to race as hard as I can.
0: Well, you have an awesome attitude about it. But, and I think you just gave a great advertisement for meditation, too, right? Because it gives you that appreciation where you can kind of get out of your own head and your own sort of emotion in the moment and sort of realize the bigger picture. The mm-hmm. bigger picture is that you had all these people that are like crazy obsessed with you and want to cheer for you, right? And yet in the moment, it was sort of draining you, Right
1: absolutely so find a way to let it fill you up and that do, do
0: you see like a result in your strain from that like having to run around and sign all these things like do you feel like your heart rate was elevated or did you get used to it
1: yeah no i think it definitely like that's one of the most helpful things i think about Whoop is for me i think recovery is a life skill you know in that moment sure, totally. i could be completely losing energy panicking thinking that i'm not prepared for the race or i could say okay this is a little different than what I normally do, but I'm okay. I'm going to allot this amount of time, then we're going to get this at the hotel and I'm going to put my legs up and it's going to be fine. Um, and theoretically the strain score for both of those would be the same, but yeah. the way that you look at it is so different. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think um, whoop has helped me be a little less paranoid about my preparation. Um, I think, you know, obviously i attend to every detail i can before a race sure but then the added stress and anxiety isn't really a benefit
0: yeah totally Um, not
1: (laughs) and if you have something that's telling you like no it's okay like you're getting sleep no it's okay your strain scores are normal like right you know that's really helpful and of course you know your body can do anything so i've woken up before actually i've had like you know, really bad recovery days on a day when I actually perform really well. And that's, sometimes that just happens.
0: Sometimes it happens. You
1: know, their data isn't a hundred percent perfect and predictable, but more often than not, I think I see a trend of, um, you know, performing a little better than I thought I would, you know, when
0: whoop says you've got a higher recovery. Yeah. Like
1: being like, Oh, actually, you know, I spent an extra 20 minutes at the venue. It did not triple my strain score. Right. You know, it was not as big of a, blip on the radar and and it encourages me to then focus on the life skill of managing all these things um keeping the stress low before a race and and really keeping up with the little habits that i think help, do kind of add up to help my recovery so the meditation taking a nap um having let's that.
0: talk about your your <laughs> napping practice so first wait we got to go back so you've okay, woken sorry. up you've now meditated okay i
1: meditated
0: uh do you eat
1: i eat food okay. i love to eat food Food is fuel for what tend I do. To eat, yeah. It's a really good benefit of being a cyclist. You yeah. really do get to um, fuel your ride. So usually I have waffles before wow, a hard good ride. For you. Thank you. Yeah, good a complex very keto of you. Well, it's complex carbohydrates. Um, Look, I, I some, think you know. I
0: think some of this diet stuff is is just you know it's gone too far, right? Like you need carbs to fuel your body, and if you're yeah. going to be burning like five thousand calories a day on a bike, you need carbs.
1: Yeah. And that's another huge piece of recovery. I don't claim to be a
0: nutritionist for the record.
1: (laughs) Everyone take everything we're saying as facts. Go eat waffles. (laughs) Only eat waffles for the rest (laughs) of your life.
0: Uh,
1: No, I think for me, that's also been a huge realization is um, I think, you know, we were talking about the start of my career and all these little gains that I've made. And the biggest things now are really managing what's going to allow me to train as hard as I can, be recovered, be happy, and you know, be fueled so that I can do it all over again. Uh, yeah. And the nutrition has been a big part of that. Sleep, napping. Um,
0: so you eat waffles, and then how soon are you out and exercising?
1: Usually about an hour, I think. I'm,
0: so I so you digest have time quickly, to digest. but that's not a lot of time. Yeah, maybe not. An if a half. I got on a bike an hour after eating waffles, I think I would be suboptimal.
1: I don't know. It's like a slow start to it we kind of get a warm up okay
0: ease into it yeah all right good for you that's i think you've got a fast metabolism for the record i think i do (laughs) okay so uh now you're you're on a bike right Mm -hmm. um and how close do you live to where you're training or
1: yeah so i just go right out the door which is a really phenomenal thing for me i think it has been a big and
0: you'll do it with your coach right there or um
1: no, mostly mostly Solo, solo. Yeah, oh, so you. I do some group rides. Um, there's one group ride that I do pretty often on Wednesdays that's been really cool and has a lot of local pro road women on it. Oh, that's um, cool. Unfortunately, all are now racing and living in Girona, so I'm oh, missing my group ride. But uh, but I do that ride, and then a lot of my training is just really structured and um, alone. So I'll go. Maybe I'll have hill intervals one day, and I'll do warm-up, go do the intervals on the hill, Um get home
0: and how will you know what what is done right this was something I used to struggle with when I was training as a college athlete and it's in part what inspired me to start whoop is that I didn't know when to stop and I would just go and go and go until I was exhausted and you know for a long period of time that would get you fitter but eventually I would just fall off a cliff no pun intended and (laughs) and yeah and so that's where I got really interested in recovery um like how do you know when you're doing too much to your body but for you like how do you think about that i mean
1: that's a really good point i think for me it's been a process of learning what i'm capable of and i switched two years ago i guess this is my third season with my coach jim miller and he's incredibly talented um and he also pushes his athletes and i think for me sometimes uh being able to have someone overseeing my training and telling me like this is a day you're going to need to push um, and just going and accepting the plan and rising to the challenge has been really important um, I don't love being out there being like eh, should I keep going should I not
0: right because so you I just wanna... have to accept the plan
1: yeah and it's adjustable and I think we work a lot you know based on how I'm feeling and, and how the ride's going and I know from my numbers whether it's Good day or bad day or or what kind of situation we're in. But, so, what um,
0: numbers will you look at during or after a workout to say, okay, like I've hit the I hit the right amount. Yeah, is it distance traveled? Is it your whoop strain? Is it like your power? Yeah.
1: So, it's primarily power for me. and, yeah. and time. So, I have um, I ride my bike seven days a week, uh, sometimes twice a day. Sure, <laughs> and I'm in the gym three days a week as well. So, wow, that's mostly a lot. it's a lot of training. Yeah. But, Mostly for the riding segments, it's, um, you know, I have a prescribed workout. So the workout might be go ride for two hours at around this power, um, or on a really key day. And those are the workouts that we really focus on that recovery is really important to prepare for those days. Uh, those will usually be an interval day and a lot of times simulate kind of a race situation. So like go do this climb for at this power and do it seven times or something. So, um, it's easier. I would say that's something that I don't have to worry about as much in my training. Uh, in terms of like when I wake up, I have a plan, I, I go execute it unless something's wrong. But I think as I've evolved as an athlete, the communication with my coach and the understanding of like, okay, I can see my recovery scores. He has access to my whoop and, and yeah, sees sure. everything that's happening. Um,
0: so he'll look at that data and adjust it on the fly too
1: yeah I think it's just a it it requires a complete picture so I do I have trained hard on days when I'm in the red you Mm -hmm. know I think that's something that I actually always say to people when they're asking me about whoop and like if I'm in the Like, can I only work out if I'm in the green? And for me, sometimes my coach and I will, like, make the decision that we're pushing as hard as I can go. Yeah, Um, And that you can only do that with the understanding that you will recover. At
0: some point, you need to recover.
1: At a point. But it's kind of a, you know, partnership in managing my fatigue because he can't completely estimate you know am i stressed out do i have a lot going on and so that gives him one tool who helps him see you know he can see if i'm not sleeping well or if 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 something's starting to show a crack during a training block like you don't just go from crushing it to not being good at all in one day you kind of you start not sleeping as well you're not recovering between workouts and and you slowly degrade so understanding that process and and knowing the balance between pushing and getting as much as we possibly can out of me, but also making sure that we're managing fatigue and and that we have a long term strategy.
0: Well, you just made a really good point about whoop recovery because uh, I get asked this all the time. Like when I'm in the red, should I not work out? And the answer isn't yes. Like you know, the answer is you can work out. the The thing to keep in mind is that over a long period of time. Or even a short period of time. If you've got an event coming up, like if you've got the Pan Am Games on Saturday and you're red on Wednesday, you don't want to go hard on Wednesday, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. But
0: if your if your goal for a three month period of time is just to get as fit as possible, like you can overdo it on a few days, knowing that at some point that recovery needs to catch back up, right? Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like that's how you've thought about it.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's really cool to have that um long term vision and that's why I've now been using Loop for two years. Oh awesome. So having an understanding of like how that data's evolved and, and year over year um what it looks like when I'm in the fall. You know, in the fall there's times when I'm training so hard and I just know I'm gonna get so run down and that's that's my job at that point. And then when I get a week off, my job is to recover like nobody's business. Um
0: have you ever redlined on Whoop like three or four days in a row in the red?
1: Um Maybe like two, two to three. Okay, so two is probably the most. Honestly, I think my body bounces back pretty quickly, and that's been another. Well, it sounds really, like your
0: training is really effective. Yeah. I mean, that's a sign really that you're than. training effectively.
1: Yeah, it's been really interesting to see. Um, so every year I do this really silly training walk called the Cape Epic. It evolved from. <laughs> <laughs> so it evolved uh, from two years ago. I raced the Cape Epic. Um, and that is the hardest mountain bike stage race in the world. It's eight days in South African desert, Cape C A P E. Yeah, Cape Epic. So okay. it starts in Cape Town, um, and it's it's known as like one of the biggest physical challenges you can do. It's you know four or five hours a day. It's a partner race. My partner was the world champion and defender, oh, cool. uh, defending winner. So I I knew that was going to be hard. And and
0: this is a man or a woman? A woman. Okay, great.
1: So it's a team of two women. It it was a really cool experience, but. Going into it, I was I was pretty nervous, and so we started with the Cape Epic, which was me at home. We trained. We did an eight day training walk where I did thirty five hours, um, and did a bunch of a couple races and group rides, and tried to really push that limit so that when I went to the Cape Epic, I knew, okay, I can survive on my bicycle for this long. Like physically, I guess I can do it. It's like right. it's like running twenty two miles before you go run a marathon. You're like, okay, well, theoretically, now hopefully my <laughs> body is. Ready for Ready. Um, but yeah, that's become an annual thing now. And that's been my biggest um, kind of light bulb moment in terms of understanding recovery, understanding pushing your body. Because a lot of times, like, I'll stay green for a few days. And eventually, by the end, I get to the red. And then so- you have, like, this bounce back. And I'll, like, totally. go back to the orange. And I'm like, wow, like good job, body. Like, I thought that I would be done by today. But I'm getting... That one last day out, and then oftentimes the last two days of that seven or eight day block end up being some of my best, and you finish feeling really good. Um, and I think, you know, that needs to be managed, but mentally understanding that, like you're not, you you don't know where your limit is, is the coolest thing as an athlete, and I think is a huge asset as you go into racing.
0: Well, it sounds like you've built like an amazing um, understanding of your body, and at a really young age, I would say. Like I think that. A lot of the things that you're talking about are things that I find athletes talk about in their 30s. Like it's just – it's one of those things where it, it takes people more time to realize how important this is. And for you, I think it also helps that you're in a, a sport that is so dependent on your body being like dialed. You know, mm-hmm. because you're you're looking at all this data and you're really understanding it. Let's go back for a second. So you've now we're we're, we're slowly oh, getting, we're getting through, through the, my day. You're slowly getting <laughs> through the day. take all day. Yeah. So uh, okay. So you've now done your first workout of the day. Mm-hmm. You just did um, biking the mountain. And uh, what now?
1: So it depends how hard that workout was. If it was a really hard workout, um, it will probably be lunch. Take a nap.
0: What kind of lunch are we doing? More waffles. Oh, good.
1: Uh, of any kind of variety of things. I think I usually have like a go-to and then I eat it for a couple weeks and then I get tired of it and go to something else. Um, right now it's kind of like a sweet potato, carrot, broccoli, veggie, stir fry, with some eggs over it. Okay. Probably. Maybe some kale. Do you eat uh, meat? I do eat meat. Yeah. Okay. So I typically, I'll usually have like eggs and maybe some like chicken sausage after, uh, a workout in my kind of veggie meal um, and then and and usually some carbs as well if it's a hard workout so add maybe rice or quinoa if, right. if, if it was a really big day but then at night I'll usually have my bigger kind of serving of protein
0: and then you'll typically go back out in the afternoon
1: so it de- yeah it depends on how hard the workout was so usually a nap in there and then And how
0: long do you like to nap for?
1: As long as I can. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, it's not that crazy but uh so you'll eat and then you'll transition to nap yeah so usually i'll eat and nap um somewhere in there it it varies a little bit depending on how the weather was so during the winter uh, i used to try to get home and stretch right away and i'd be wet and cold and and i realized like it was worse for my recovery um so now i try to eat and kind of relax for a minute and get that kind of parasympathetic nervous system going relax yeah. and then I do my post ride stretching and napping um, and got recovery stuff and I mean if I'm exhausted maybe I'll nap and then stretch but but I think for me having those like pillars like I have the the habits that I do and, and they can kind of be stacked in different ways
0: that's smart and uh, for you in taking a nap do you take anything to fall asleep or you just pass out
1: I should put on my little sleep mask and sleep. I I would say that's I'm a good sleeper. It's something I'm forked on.
0: <laughs> something you've learned from Woop.
1: Yeah. You got to sleep.
0: And uh what kind of a sleep mask do you use?
1: Um right now I have a really random one that we got when we were in South Africa got on for that plane, trip. Probably. It was like, yeah, yeah, buy them in airports. Can never have too many.
0: I like the sleep mask. I've gotten into it. Do I've, you have
1: a specific one?
0: Well, I, I try a lot of different things just by virtue of my job. And uh, right now, I'm forgetting the brand name, but it's it's like a bigger operation. Mm. It's not you know one of those little pieces of paper, so to speak, that just silked. It just goes over your face. It's got like goggles, so to speak, that it's go. A serious. It. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. It's intense. I still haven't found one that I love. You know, I would say that generally speaking, I think sleep masks are great. Yeah. Like broadly speaking, I like the whole concept. I just I'm pretty finicky with products and industrial design and stuff, mm-hmm. so it's I don't feel like someone's made a great one.
1: I'm with you on that. If the, if Whoop could get into sleep masks, that would be great for me. Yeah, to be continued. It's, it's so mean, hard to find the right. Re- I had this experience. I forgot mine on the way to Mexico, and I, my mom was traveling with me, and we went to like five places. I was like, no, nope, that one won't work for me. She's like, what are you looking for in a sleep mask? And and it's, it's hard to find the right one. Yeah, anyone
0: <laughs> listening to this, if you have an awesome sleep mask, please. please let us know. I will definitely buy it. I'll send one to Kate as well. Okay. We'll both wear it. Uh, no, I think the sleep mask is great. I mean, um, uh, design aside... Uh, anything about your post-nap routine? Like, do you just pop right up, take a shower, no shower, go right on the mountain?
1: I usually have showered before I napped, so maybe I'm not giving as detailed about yeah. But uh, Well,
0: no, I figured yeah. you shower after working out.
1: Yes, exactly. But
0: I'm someone who likes to, like, literally anytime I wake up from anywhere, even if I'm late for something, I have to shower. Wow. It just gets me going.
1: I'm not. I am not one of those people, but yeah. I respect it. Yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I should it's take like my showers. It's my
0: transition into the world. Awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think the the nap transition is something I'm maybe still mastering. I think when I have an afternoon workout, it's pretty easy because I get up. I maybe have snack at this point because it's been a few hours, um, and then go to the gym or go to yoga, um, depending on how hard the day was. And then if I have a second ride, um, I can go do that. But if I don't have a second workout, or if I'm just doing yoga or kind of have more of a recovery let's pick afternoon. the most
0: intense day. If it's most a super intense, intense okay. day, what are you doing?
1: I'm going to the gym. Uh, so you're
0: going to the gym. What do you like to do in the gym?
1: Yeah, I do a lot of stuff in the gym. I love that part of my training. And I think I'm a little unique in that. I think it's starting to become bigger in mountain biking. But um, I felt early on, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a more petite rider. Uh, and having the strength to control the bike and having the stamina in my upper body strength um, was something that I saw I could improve in the gym. And it's also just nice to have something different. So, totally, you know, I think setting the goal of like, I really want to be able to do a bunch of pull-ups or I really want to be able to jump on a higher box yeah. is so different than the goals I've been setting for years and years and years of upping this power number or doing this hill faster or winning this race. Um, it kind of gets your mind in a different... Zone uh, and and that's been really cool for me.
0: And uh, within the gym, are you doing a lot of weightlifting? It sounds like you're doing some body weight stuff. Obviously, mm-hmm. pull ups. Talk a little bit more about what you do in the gym.
1: Yeah, so I have a really awesome strength coach who works with the U.S. Ski Team, the nice. Nordic Team, um, and they're super creative. So I think we spend a lot of time, honestly, on injury prevention and mobility and. My warm up's about forty five minutes, so oh, wow. <laughs> so I feel like I go to the gym and I crawl around on the ground for forty five minutes, and then I like lift a hex bar. Um, so
0: so deadlifting,
1: yeah, deadlifting, squats are kind of the main things for mountain biking. Um, a lot of like plyos, a lot of jumping. We actually we've done a lot of stair jumping this year, so that's been oh that's interesting, very trendy. Um, and then you know at the end of it, I think for me a lot of core stability, upper body um, balance and coordination. So I'll have like a set routine that my, um, strength coach provides, but she also gives time at the end where she's like, play, do something that feels like mountain biking. And, and we kind of like, I'll stand on a bounce ball and flip weights or throw a ball at the wall or stand on the endo board, um, or do something where it feels like I'm on handlebars and I'm bouncing. And, and I think that's been really cool for me to, you know, be able to learn from people around me and and incorporate these cool ideas and and be creative, um, in a way that makes it fun. So like, ooh, I wonder if I could flip this kettlebell and catch it. Uh, <laughs> true story, did drop it on the ground a few times, but um, just don't drop it on your foot. Just, uh, this is there we go. It's not always the safest, yeah. but uh, but right. I try to try to be as safe as I can. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think being able to push in those different ways is really cool and. Um, I think it challenges your brain, and that's something that I think people underestimate in cycling and in sports in general is that when you're learning something new, like it is a different neurological experience. Totally. um, And it helps you.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think the process also of getting better at things is positive in other aspects of your life, right? Like Mm -hmm. just the fact that you're improving at weightlifting gives you more confidence in your mountain biking world. Absolutely. Like I yeah. think that is, that's a real phenomenon, let alone the fact that obviously you're getting stronger, which is right. going to help your career.
1: But also just feeling strong. Like I think that's something too um, that yeah, goes beyond the weightlifting too. is and, and includes the nutrition piece and the sleep piece. It's when you wake up and you feel really strong and you feel really capable and you pull up to that start line and you know, oh, I've done all these things to like make my body and my mind as strong as I can – That's a a really good feeling, and I think each of these little things, even playing in the gym um, and being like, oh, I can flip this weight while I'm standing on this thing, um, may not be the core of my training. I mean it's definitely not the core of my training, but it adds to that sense of confidence and that sense of strength.
0: I feel like in the last – Maybe five years, but it could even be less than that. There's just been a huge growth to women lifting weights, right? Like the, it maybe it ties with what's going on in society right now around female empowerment. But to me, it seems like women are really gravitating more to weightlifting. Do you feel the same way?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think one of my biggest heroes uh, in sports in general has been Lindsey Vaughn. Oh, cool. Um, ever since I was little, I watched her race and and just thought she was such a badass. Um, but I think even more recently, you know, as I've been kind of a, a young female athlete figuring out all these different things nutrition i think is a really hard one for female athletes weightlifting um just just all these challenging kind of places where you want to improve and you want to be healthy and you want to do the right thing um Lindsay Vaughn's been a huge inspiration to follow and and she promotes that idea of just like working your ass off and i think she she posts all these videos in the gym and she's so strong and i think Seeing that, but also seeing the response to it, which is, I think, society by and large, all the Instagram comments, everything I see is, "Wow, you're so strong, that's amazing," and and then you know, really paying attention to her race results and really sure. um, connecting that hard work and that strength with the results um, has been a huge positive message for me, and hopefully, I can continue to pass that on.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you are. I mean. For you, like, is there – I mean you talked about the challenge of it. Is there – do you feel like some kind of a societal fear of getting strong like that is now being overcome by women in sports?
1: I think it's it's complex for that. And I, I wrote something about this um, a long time ago about like fueling for something like cycling. And, and in a lot of these sports, like weight and your physique matters a lot. And I think that's really challenging – Um, especially as you're growing and developing, like, you need strength. Like, I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is the the more that I fuel my body, the more that I build strength, the harder I can work and the harder I can train. And that's something that, you know, in the past, I think, with cyclists, there's some, you know, camps where people are just, like, getting really thin. And, And that's been, like, a look. There's really thin cyclists who are really fast and they can climb hills fast. But... I think to have longevity in the sport, to be strong, to be capable, and to um, be able to reach your potential over a long period of time, you have to have that core strength and that um, core kind of nutrition that allows you to be a peak performer and, and you know lean out when you need to, but in a way that's really healthy and that maximizes your potential instead of kind of leaving you dangling and, and possibly falling off a cliff in terms of fitness and health.
0: Well, I read about this Tour de France cyclist, and maybe you know who I'm talking about, but there's this guy, and I'm unfortunately blanking on his name, who intentionally atrophied, like, his whole upper half. Like, the top half of his body has virtually no muscle. Like, when you look at him, he's just two legs. Like, literally, it's two legs and a skeleton. And I was reading about that. I was like, gosh, that is so crazy. Uh, And it was very intentional. Like, he doesn't lift anything anything yeah.
1: grocery bags <laughs> yeah i'm not yeah. kidding
0: uh and his point of view is that he wanted to have no muscle in his upper body because he felt like it was just going to take away from his cycling performance now cycling is mm-hmm. a little different from mountain biking but i mean what's your reaction yeah. to that do you does that sound totally so crazy to you
1: it it sounds pretty crazy to me but i do understand like i think it's the balance of understanding you know weight and um muscle kind of makeup those are things that affect performance just like the weight of the bike and um, you know your strength up a climb, Th- those are aspects of performance, but they need to be kept in perspective and put in place. Um, and a healthy rider is a fast rider, uh, in my opinion. A happy rider is a fast rider, and in my sport, um, in mountain biking, you have to be strong. Like I think it is very different, and the kind of needs are different for right. road cycling and mountain cycling, um, but. Yeah. At the end of the day, for me, I think it's keeping that one thing in perspective, and that's what I really appreciate about um, the female athletes that I've looked up to. Now, is I'm not going to say that weight doesn't matter at all, and an athlete should eat whatever they want and do whatever they want. You know, we spend our whole lives dedicated to optimizing this thing. Of course, we should be putting the right fuel in our bodies and. And when you have a huge championship event, that's certainly something I pay attention to, but it's the way that you treat it and the way that you approach it as this is an aspect act- of performance, um, but the most important thing is that I'm healthy and strong and, and competing at the level I need to be. And then this is just one more thing to tweak um, in, a, in the way that works for you and in a way that's nuanced uh, and and not just saying, okay, well that rider was really skinny. So that's the one thing that I need to do to be successful.
0: Yeah. And maybe it works for him. I just found it fascinating that it was like so out there. Okay. So, uh, so you've now finished weightlifting. Where's your day headed?
1: Um, so after that, I'd probably head home, pick up some groceries. Um, Do you like to
0: cook for yourself?
1: I do. I love cooking. Yeah. Good for you. It's been, it's really cool for me to be able to, again, like kind of you know, make sure I'm putting really healthy, yummy, awesome things in my body. And, and cooking them is the easiest way to control what you're eating. And I think it also makes me appreciate what I'm eating.
0: True. What do you, what do you like to have for dinner?
1: Ooh, it's a, usually some kind of meat. So like salmon or chicken and roasted vegetables and salad. Um, and then maybe sweet potato or rice for carbs. So – it kind of depends. I feel like I mix and match based on what I did that day and my nutritional needs.
0: Sweet potatoes are apparently one of the best <laughs> carbs.
1: They're one I of mean, the you, most you
0: you've, me- you've mentioned them a few times, so I want to call them out.
1: You're calling me out on one of my – this is my food podium. Like, sweet potatoes, avocados, dark chocolate are my –
0: Dark chocolate. Main thing. Now, do you yes. think dark chocolate has performance benefits or do you think that it just tastes good?
1: It absolutely has deliciousness benefits. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's right. well, important I clarifying. Yeah. I think some of those things it's I mean like, some
0: people literally claim that chocolate has – particularly dark chocolate has performance anti-inflammatories,
1: benefits. Anti-inflammatories. Yeah. You
0: know. A bunch antioxidants. of antioxidants. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I think – yeah, for me it's like what makes you feel good um, and what do you like eating and then – You know i work with a nutritionist pretty closely and and we um he's been really great about making sure i get enough fuel i think that's actually the most important thing as a cyclist um for me at this time in my training is just being like am i getting enough protein and fat like making sure that my body has the fuel it needs to meet the demands that i'm putting on it
0: and now i mean we're in the evening right in the evening what's your uh pre-bed routine
1: I've, yeah, I'm a pretty, uh, pretty big creature of habit in that. So usually in the evenings, I'll have some time to relax. Um, you know, put the legs up, do the NormaTech boots, foam roll, stretch. How often head. will you
0: NormaTech? NormaTech for those listening is like uh, leggings yeah. that push air through them in order to massage you in a in an intelligent way.
1: Yes, that's a very great description of NormaTech. Was
0: it? Okay. Yes. Good job. Oh. Uh. All right. Go ahead. <laughs>
1: But, yeah, so I kind of have a bunch of different things that I do for recovery, and it depends on how I'm feeling and and what I might need, but also how much time I have. I think norm checks for me are really easy to do at night if you're reading or
0: watching TV. And will you do them every day? Will you do them only if you're sore? Will you do them if you're not sore?
1: Kind of roughly every day.
0: That's okay. It.
1: There's definitely days I, I skip. I think for me, I always um, prioritize sleep, so if for some reason I had a really long day and And I just want to go to bed. Um, I'm not going to stay up late to, like, do the Norma or stay up late to foam roll. Um, I think that's something that I've matured into is not feeling like you have to tick every single box every single day. Right. Um, Because sometimes that actually works against you. Right. And, And being able to understand, like, when
0: these tools are useful. So, okay, so Normatech, and you like to do it okay. for, what did you say, 30 minutes?
1: Yeah, 30, 45 minutes. Okay. Um,
0: and will you ever use those? Uh,
1: the Theragun? Yeah. The, I have the the one Theragun of those, too. Hyperize. I'll use the Theragun, which doesn't take as long, too. But, yeah, yeah, I would say I don't do all of these things every day, but I, I have them available, which is really awesome for me, and um, they're great tools.
0: What's something that you do that you think most people don't?
1: Ooh like in life well (laughs) i'm biking
0: (laughs) no i'm talking about in recovery in
1: recovery um i would say naps are the biggest thing and i think it's it's like meditation it's the thing that you know is good for you you want to do you feel good after you do it but it's so hard to do for some reason
0: Um,
1: and that's been my experience with napping is a lot of times after a hard workout you're just spent mentally and physically and you kind of trying to like get yourself to go and take this nap and while it sounds luxurious like when you're that tired it's it's sometimes hard to even like get yourself to do that and you want to just like sit and look at Instagram and feel terrible um so being really diligent about getting that rest time and forcing myself to like sit set the timer and I always fall asleep once I get to that point so
0: now you mentioned Instagram you strike me as someone who would have a healthy relationship with your phone but (laughs) <laughs> Describe it. You just made yeah. a funny face, so so we'll
1: see. I try my best. It's something that I actively try to manage. I think I learned this year. Um, Instagram, for me, is, I, I feel mixed about it. I think it's something that I spend too much time on, quite frankly, but that it also brings so many magical things to me, which is, like, if I had to spend two hours on Instagram and I get one message from... A little girl who says hey you really inspired me to ride my bike like I was wondering if you have any tips on climbing a big mountain like that's (laughs) the best thing that that could ever happen to me and as an athlete um, it gives me meaning it gives me purpose it makes me feel that the thing that I'm dedicating myself to has value and is impacting people and I think that's a perspective that I really never want to lose. But I also think there's an unhealthy side of it. And you know, scrolling through looking at other people's stuff and just kind of wasting um, time on it is, is something that I'm trying to move away from.
0: Yeah, it's a, um, it is a it's a very interesting product just in terms of the connectivity of it. I mean, it's a fascinating moment in time and that you can literally find any person in the world practically, and see what they're up to in their life or you know, at least the best versions of their life. And for super successful athletes like yourself who've built up these huge, huge fan bases, I, it, I wonder, like, how how, do, how you manage it because it pulls you in two directions, right? You just described it. On one hand, it's, it's rewarding because it's, you know, you're talking directly to your fans and they're responding and they're excited and they're liking all your content. But on the other, you know, on the other side... It's, um, I mean, it's fundamentally a distraction, I think, from anything positive, right? Like it's it's just pulling you into this wormhole that's separating you from the rest of the world. And for someone who's like so focused on training and being present, I don't know, I can just imagine it's a hard balance for you.
1: Yeah, no, you've definitely, you've hit on it. I think it's something I have to be um, pretty honest with myself about and check in about because um, there is that half that's so positive for me. Um, and I get to share I think also I get to share this journey like I'm, I'm working hard all year I'm, I'm working on things all year and I share the process of doing that and then when I have a result for example at world championships I remember all these people messaging me being like This was amazing to follow you working so hard this year. I'm so glad I got to be a part of this.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. And
1: it's like for those people to feel that they were a part of that win is like the coolest thing for me because honestly, they are. Like I have a job because people care about mountain biking. Hopefully, everyone watch mountain biking. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, that's that's why I get to do this, and I feel honored to be able to. And and so that's the positive side. Um, But yeah, the distraction side is something that I need to check in and be like am I on Instagram right now because it's positive and I'm interacting with these people and and it's work or am I on it right now because I'm tired or I'm distracted or I'm overwhelmed and and I think a lot of times you know paying attention to what makes you pull out your phone has been a good learning experience for me like sometimes when I'm just in an overwhelming situation you're like oh this is something that I can manage and look at right you know and and that Like, it makes you wonder what the world was like when people didn't just pull out their phone when they were awkwardly sitting somewhere. You know, people probably talked to each other. Uh, And so, in those moments, I've actively tried to be like, okay, I don't need to do anything on my phone right now. Like, I'm sitting here. Like, do I just want to stay here? Do I want to talk to this person? Like, is there something else that I can do to improve this situation that isn't going to be so negative?
0: Well, what you just described is the voice of someone who meditates, because that is like a very, like, third. Third-person view of yourself, like about to pick up a phone, and I think, I mean, a lot of people struggle with that. I think it's a fact. Now, are other things on your phone pull you in? I mean, hopefully, you look at the Whoop app from time to time. I definitely
1: look at the Whoop app. I look at my training numbers (laughs) um, on Training Peaks. It's the kind of tracks all of my training. Um, Hey,
0: shout out Training Peaks. We recently did an integration with Training Peaks. So if you want to push your data to Training Peaks.
1: I would just like to say that this is my dream. And <laughs> <laughs> from day one, I was, like, emailing support at Woop, like, can we get an integration with TrainingPeaks? So, yes, yeah, so you can now do that. And my coach actually uh, works at TrainingPeaks. So oh, okay, cool. So it all comes full circle for me. This is great integration. Nice, nice. But, but yeah. It's still
0: um, in its – by the way, it's still in its early stages, bit of a beta. But yeah. we've seen a great response from Whoop users who are using it, so.
1: Get excited. I am. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I look at that and – what else? I mean, email. But really, yeah, I think um, the social media stuff is what's most most draws me in on my phone, and so that's um, that's the part that I need to be aware of.
0: Now, are you conscious at, uh, of like putting your phone away a certain time before bed or anything like that, or will you be looking at it the mi- up to the minute before you fall asleep?
1: So I am. That was the year that we identified recovery, and I got my loop. That was a huge thing as I kind of changed my habits around my sleep time. And that's nice. let's do it. Yeah. So um, we just moved. So I'm still working on getting this set up in our new place, but, okay. uh, I don't sleep with my phone in the room. I sleep with, um, I actually got like an Amazon Alexa cause it's, you know, each of these habits, I was like, okay, well, I don't want my phone in the room, but then how do I set my alarm? And then how do I meditate? And how do I do all these things? So I ended up getting that. Um, and I can say, like I set the alarm before I go to sleep, say, Alexa, wake me up at 8am right, right, right. uh, and then when I wake up I can say Alexa like open headspace and oh, start uh. a meditation and they start like the daily 10 minute meditation which has been really cool and it it makes me do it because if you, if you wake up in your bed and your phone's in the other room and you want to meditate like you'll just sit there and do it you know you're not going to like reach for it and then see an email and then right. realize you have to it do something and need to write something down and get up and
0: and do you wake up to an alarm or you just wake up on your own
1: I wake up to an alarm.
0: Okay, but like an old-fashioned one.
1: Yeah, well, it's Alexa. Oh, it's the Alexa, sorry. Yeah, this was all part of (laughs) – it felt so silly when I did this. I was like, I'm changing my sleep habits, and I ordered all these things. I ordered my sleep mask. I have have earplugs, all these things. I ordered my Amazon Alexa, and I got to say, it worked. Um, (laughs) So I get in bed. I set my alarm. Um, I write in a gratitude journal every night, so that's been something I've done for like five years. Oh, wow. So it's, it's really easy. I write three things that I'm grateful for from the day. Um, what would
0: be examples of those that you can share?
1: Yeah, no, they're really. I mean, they're not not rocket science. I'll be like, I am grateful for recording this amazing podcast with Whoop this morning. It was a really cool experience, and we got to talk a lot about, about a lot of things that matter to me. Okay, or like, great. That would be one thing. Yeah. Um, and so it's usually, like, it's also like kind of a journal, but I would, I, I need more uh, <laughs> kind of more structure than just like journaling. So I think the three things I'm grateful for. It it always takes a few minutes, so I'll actually do it. And um, it does just kind of like prime your brain to look for positives.
0: Yeah, it's another thing that I don't do that, but I know a lot of people do and they speak really highly of it. I kind of want to do it, so I might get into it. Okay. Yeah.
1: I recommend it.
0: (laughs) And your format is just three bullets effectively. Yeah. Date, three bullets.
1: Date, three bullets. So easy. But you'll find – like I think the biggest thing for me about that is – I'm definitely a creature of habit. You'll probably probably notice that from my little uh, daily schedule. But things that I do every day, I'll do every day. Things that I do sometimes, I forget to do. Um, And so, you know, culling these habits down into, like, a simple thing that I'll do every day and that impacts me, I'll keep doing it. um, And it really becomes a habit versus something that I have to think about. And on my worst days, like, I will, like, have a bad day. I pull out my grad and I'm like, oh, okay write in stupid gratitude journal and you finally come up with something you're like fine i had a good breakfast i guess and then all of a sudden you start to realize all of these things that happen in your day and and more importantly all these people that contributed to your day so maybe like oh well actually i did talk to my mom and she was so great earlier and that was so nice or oh, oh man cool. you know i passed like I, it was rainy on my ride, but I passed this person and, like, they said hi and blah, blah, blah. So you, So it
0: can even be these tiny things, yeah.
1: Tiny, tiny things. But when you start to realize that, like, you run out of pa- space on the page. Like, that yeah. happens to me all the time. We're like, oh, shoot, that other thing happened that was really awesome. Or, oh, that person did that really nice thing for me. Um, that you just forget because the days are pretty long.
0: <laughs> well, it's, I mean, yeah, that, that to me just seems like a super healthy practice. So, okay, so you've now written three things in your gratitude journal yeah what now uh,
1: read a book read a slate. book
0: or what do you like to read
1: a lot of things I think um, I, I read kind of random stuff sometimes I like reading psychology books interesting <laughs> or like my fun books a lot of times will be like uh, autobiographies or biographies of athletes and just interesting like high performing people
0: what's the most interesting book you've read on a high performer recently
1: on a high performer recently
0: or it can be your favorite
1: my favorite book oh this is so hard Um, I love favorite books. One of your favorites. One of my favorite books. Books. I love Malcolm Gladwell. Um, Okay. I love like Outliers, Blank, all those books. I just find fascinating.
0: I'm actually going to a dinner with him soon. I'm excited. Okay, well,
1: tell him. Big fan. Yeah, I'll tell him. Uh, Big fan. Yeah, yeah, so I love those books. And I think for me, um, I just read – the book I just finished on the plane on the way here was called Let Your Mind Run. And that was about like the mental side of running.
0: Oh, interesting. And it's
1: just – I find that, especially when I'm in season and I'm racing, I just love hearing about like people's journeys and it's, it'll be in random sports. Last year I was like, read about Ronda Rousey and like MMA. This year I'm randomly reading a lot about Formula One and like (laughs) high performers in Formula One and reading Jensen Button's book right now. So there's, there's really random things that strike my interest, but I think hearing about people pursuing excellence in anything it doesn't have to be sports even um, always draws me in
0: how experimental are you like if uh, if you read in a book that ronda rousey likes to wear socks to bed because it makes her fall asleep faster like will you will you just throw that in all of a sudden or you know and that's <laughs> okay. a very yeah <laughs>
1: but like that's a, the kind
0: of example wear right? socks
1: to bed um yeah. no i think it's it's hard to discern sometimes what you should be like learning from other people and yeah. whatnot. I think I've gotten a lot better about that over time.
0: And also you have to remind yourself that like it's all pretty good right now. Like your progression as an Doing athlete okay. is very linear.
1: Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's more mental for me. I think I take ideas more than I take
0: literal. actual yeah literal, tactics. literal things. Yeah. Um,
1: I think... Occasionally, there'll be something that I'll be like, oh, this is kind of an interesting idea, but it's usually not something that I'm like, oh, they did this and therefore that's why they were successful. It's more about like the way they approach their career or um, I think, okay, I'll give yeah, you an I example. Yeah, I find very
0: rarely it's this thing made them successful, but I, I like this idea of you try to steal a little bit from here and there and eventually you build up yeah. all these interesting... Yeah,
1: like, a good example is... I read Ronda Rousey's book uh, at the start of the World Cup season, and then yeah. I went up to altitude camp. And in the book, she goes to fight camp, and like in MMA fighting, they kind of have these periods where they're not really training hard, and then they'll go to like a six-week fight camp, and then they go to their battle. <laughs> I know this is ridiculous, but for me, like I read this book, and I like was going up to Tahoe, and so finally, I was like, "This is my fight camp. Like we are going to fight camp." And so that's
0: a healthy mindset. That's
1: how we talked about it the whole time. It was my fight camp my coach knew it was my fight camp, like, and, and I think it was cool to have something like just have a word that even reminded me like, this is my focus time. Like, I'm going to turn into an animal at this fight camp and be ready to go for the next World Cup. Um, and it sounded ridiculous, but it mentally really helped me, you know, section off that time as like, okay, I'm, Going there alone, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to eat exactly perfectly or I'm going to train as hard as I can and and be really focused for this time.
0: I like that a lot. Now, uh, okay, so now you're going to bed. Yeah. Uh, Cold room, warm room, uh, natural light, dark light.
1: I like it very dark and I like to have a million pillows. But other than that, I'm actually I'm a pretty Pretty good sleeper. I'm pretty much like head hits a pillow. I'm out. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Boom. Sleep whoop. latency of zero. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unwhoop.
1: <laughs> no sleep lost. <laughs> yeah. No. But yeah, I am I do fall asleep really easily, which is nice.
0: How much REM and slow wave sleep do you find you get at a night? Oh, that's to a good whoop.
1: question. Like uh, hours wise, mm-hmm. I should go look at it. Um, I think it varies. I think I wake up feeling the most rested when I get a lot of deep sleep. Like there's a lot of times where I get like an hour of deep sleep and I wake up like feeling amazing yeah. even if I didn't sleep as long overall um, but yeah I haven't I think I don't lose that much sleep
0: right so you're, a you're a very efficient I'm sleeper I'm a pretty
1: efficient sleeper like I like 30 minutes
0: efficiency is like the amount of time you spend in bed yeah. actually translating to sleep so, so I think so
1: I lose y- like 30 minutes usually
0: And you're spending eight hours in bed, roughly?
1: Like nine. (laughs) Nine
0: hours in bed. So that's actually really good. Because typically what we see is after about seven and a half hours, it becomes harder to maintain a high sleep efficiency.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. So the fact that you're getting eight and a half hours of sleep, spending nine (laughs) hours in bed, that's like, yeah, Yeah. that's restorative.
1: I really do my best. It's (laughs) something I – I mean I I think – I'm lucky. Like I always slept really well, but I also those habits and and kind of. Yeah, but a lot of helps. it's
0: not luck too. I mean, all the habits that you're describing. If you take someone who right now is listening to this and they're not a great sleeper, and they just introduced half the things that we talked about, I guarantee you that person's going to sleep better. Like mm-hmm. guarantee you, gratitude journal, put I your phone, phone, away, phone away, learn to meditate, exercise once a day. Even hell, you do it twice a day, you're definitely going to sleep Good. better.
1: Good. You yeah. Know. So and take also, half
0: of those things.
1: Yeah, I would say also nutrition for me is good. Um, I forgot to mention my other two pre bedtime routine things that are yes absolutely pillars.
0: We need to uh, know.
1: You can. My family <laughs> will attest. Uh, I take like a magnesium. Do you know the Natural yes. Vitality Calm stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that I make into like tea, so I always have something warm before I go to bed. Okay. So that I really like, and then I also there's been a bunch of studies about. Um, whey protein helping you recover overnight so i have a little bit of greek yogurt i have like a greek yogurt problem but i i eat greek yogurt so every yogurt.
0: night you have greek yogurt yeah
1: just a little bit and it's it actually serves a lot of uh purposes for me cuz i think no, like having that little check in and having my greek yogurt and greek
0: yogurt problem maybe put i, like that.
1: I know it's like I need a Greek yogurt sponsorship. So if anyone <laughs>
0: – If you're listening to this and you have access to a yeah. Greek yogurt sponsorship. My
1: boyfriend the other day came home with – I was like, can you get some Greek yogurt? And he's like, I literally bought it yesterday. And I was like, I gone. ate it. I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I sometimes put chocolate chips in them or like put little sliced almonds, make it kind of a almost dessert-y thing. Um And that's also another opportunity for me if I didn't feel like I got enough fuel in the day. So if I didn't quite hit my fat or protein numbers that you can, you know, add a scoop of almond butter to that or kind of check in, make sure that you meet those numbers and um, have your little bedtime snack. And I think actually when traveling, that's been really huge because, you know, if you have a bunch of days where you don't get enough fuel, um, that can be really detrimental
0: and when you travel what are some of your tricks to staying recovered
1: yeah I think uh, just planning you know just making sure if there are things you know you need bring them and make sure you have them good Um, advice literally I bring my waffle maker with me to races
0: wow yes
1: so I have a mini waffle maker that comes with me in the states and then I think yeah kind of at the beginning of the season we'll buy one in Europe so it has the adapter and I will always have waffles there we go
0: So, okay, so you've got your waffles, you're prepared. Uh, If you're taking a flight over a few time zones, are you someone who likes to try to get on the time that you're at or are you someone who likes to stay on the previous time zone that you were in?
1: Yeah, I think that's another place where planning and also just, like, experience helps a lot. I think everyone's different. So um, for me, usually taking a later flight to Europe, I sleep on the plane really well, usually... um, making sure that i don't just like stay up and watch movies that i do like get that sleep arrive uh and usually ride and then you're tired from traveling and and then i can go to sleep that night um and for me hitting that first night in europe is the biggest thing like having a good night's sleep that first night makes a big difference so i don't take naps when i get there i I just try to be tired for that and uh and adjust but i think also you know it's it's a lot about knowing your body and knowing um What works for you, and also appreciating that if you're on a plane and you're sleeping. You're doing the best you can with recovery and just kind of accepting it and not being super paranoid and stressed out because...
0: Well, not being stressed alone is massive for recovery. <laughs>
1: exactly. Like, and it's really hard to sleep when you're like very stressed and you hear a noise and you're like, oh, everything is conspiring against me, <laughs> so I can't sleep. Well, uh, you
0: wouldn't put that in your gratitude journal. No, so, yeah. exactly. Uh, on, on the whoop side of things, what um, what does your strain look like on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, I think my average train right now is like 18 or like 17.5. So that's that's high. So it's pretty high.
0: And if you think about the distribution of a week, like will you mostly have green recoveries, mostly yellow?
1: I think it depends a little bit on the time of year. Um, Mostly I'd say green and yellow. I I don't have red recoveries that often. And then once I'm in season, I rarely have them, um, other than maybe from travel. But I think – you know, we're doing less hard workouts right before a World Cup. As you were saying, you're not – if you're if you're yellow – So some
0: concept of tapering, right? Yeah, exactly. The strain measurement, it was one of the biggest things that, like, I wish I had in college because I was thinking about how I used to over-train the days leading up to a game because you get excited and all of a sudden you can't quite feel the stress that you're putting on your body. If you think about strains, so you typically average 18 a day. If you think about the strain that you put on your body two days or a day before an mm-hmm. event, what does that look like on Whoop?
1: More like 14, 15.
0: Yeah. I so mean, it's honestly, slower. it's
1: it's a balance. As, as you're saying, you get excited, you feel good, you're rested. Um, and also, you need to do, for me, you need to opener. So I can't just really, really chill before the race. I need to make sure my body's primed, the engine's ready to go. Yeah. Um, but usually, I think the bigger thing is understanding what goes around that preparation so for me making sure that i go to the venue or the event venue i ride on the course i do my preparation and then it's like a race like how fast can i get back to the hotel room and get my legs up and if you have that mindset you'll do it you'll just go home but if you're not thinking about it you get sucked in you're excited to be at the race you see all your friends yeah right standing around in the sun And those are things that, like, wouldn't show up on my power meter because I'm not riding, but would show up on my whoop if I spent all day at the venue or, you know, forgot a bunch of things and then had to run a bunch of errands that day. Um, Those things are, are things that contribute to the overall weight of that day.
0: Yeah, they totally accumulate stress on your body that otherwise you might not think of. Like, I think that there's such a point of view for a lot of athletes that exercise is the only time that they're putting stress on their body right Mm -hmm. and you're talking about all these other aspects in your day which is why at WHOOP we've thought of strain through the lens of daily strain not just an activity strain which we also measure so an activity strain being like the workout but what are all those other little things throughout the day
1: yeah I think that's been the biggest asset for me Um, you know because of the nature of data and cycling like I have pretty good measures of what I'm doing on the bike Um, but before WHOOP I had no way to quantify those other things and as you were saying you know you never know when it's enough and as an athlete that's so hard especially when you're really wanting to make the jump to the top level or you are there and want to stay there and um, you have time to do things and you're saying should i go to pilates and stretch and go to the gym and do this and and a lot of times what i'll see is like if i get back from a ride and my whoop score is 20.5 i should probably just chill uh, for probably the whole day Uh, and that's that's been a hard mental thing for me because basically it means that I'm using a complete day's worth of energy in less than a day. Right. You know, it's like about energy management, not necessarily time. Like for me, time is not the scarcest resource in terms of training. Like, you know, someone who goes to a nine to five, they, they have, their work is dispersed. Like they're working a whole day for me. I feel like I use that amount of energy in a four hour, really hard bike ride. And then I still have the rest of the day. Right. Um, and so, learning that okay, you've done your job, like your job chill. for the day,
0: yeah, chill.
1: That part is done. The job for the afternoon is the recovery side, and like thinking of that as the next piece.
0: So, if you're gonna relax or chill out, do you have any guilty pleasures?
1: Um, I would say my biggest, like, luxurious thing is we've had a we've had a string of rainy days here in California, uh, and. So I'll train outside, it's cold, I get back, and I'll make my recovery drink, and I'll go drink it in the hot tub. And ah, that is, I'm like, reco- nice. I'm recovered, I'm better now, I'm <laughs> fixed. <laughs> so that's my, like...
0: Do you do, you do anything with um, hot-cold?
1: I have tried. So I used to do, like, ice baths a little bit, and the research on that is quite mixed, as people it is probably mixed, know, yeah. it's quite mixed. Um, but the hot-cold, hot-cold, I really like, and, and now I have access to a hot tub, so I've done cold bath, hot tub back. It doesn't feel awesome, um, you know, but it works.
0: <laughs> I think there's something to be said for doing things that just improve your mood too. And there's no question that going hot, cold, hot, cold improves your mood. Like I've gotten really into spending like 10 minutes in a sauna and then doing oh, cool. as cold a shower as I possibly can stand in for as probably about as long as I can stand in it and then going back into the sauna and then back into the yeah. cold. And I feel euphoric afterwards, honestly euphoric.
1: Yeah. And it just, I mean, intuitively it makes sense. Like your body, when you go somewhere that's really hot or really cold, like your body flushes your system with blood. It's saying when you get really cold, it's saying like, ah, let's, you know, maintain our limbs here. Um, And then also, you know, draws it back to your core. And and I just think that kind of like blood flow is positive and, and helps you feel really refreshed when you get moving again
0: for people listening what are some other uh resources that you recommend for learning more about performance or if people want to better understand mountain biking
1: mountain biking so if you want to watch our bike races they stream all of them on red bull tv so that's they're super exciting they're only about an hour and a half and i promise you in the women's field in particular it is very competitive uh right now so very exciting
0: has anyone ever like intentionally hit you with their bike or anything like kind of like that
1: you know, I would say people are pretty good, especially, so like, I like think at the front of the field. It. I think it gets a little more dodgy at the back, but at the front of the field, people, like, really have respect, <laughs> and, and yeah. we all know each other. Like, you're going to be racing me every race. So, if you, yeah, you know, if you did something that was not cool, uh, you know that in the future, if you wanted to, like, pass me or something, like, it would be harder. What goes
0: and, around comes around.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't think there is a lot of that. Like, I think – just the knowing that you're going to be racing these people, and also like having respect for your competitors. Like I think we all work really, really hard, and we're more alike than different.
0: <laughs> now I'm reading here that uh, you're a big fan of melatonin.
1: I do. Like, I take melatonin. Yeah.
0: Now, do you take that with magnesium when you sleep?
1: So they have a com- they have a oh, version it, oh, of that together. that has melatonin in it. Ah. Which I use sometimes for traveling. I actually don't use melatonin at home. I mostly save it for traveling or racing trips because um, it does make me feel like I sleep a little better. So it's like almost like a safety blanket when you're traveling and you're like, oh, I hope I'm not jet lagged. OK, I took my melatonin. and I'll be great now. Right. Um, and it, of course, it's not like a sleeping pill, but it helps with that.
0: Now, uh, I'm also reading that you're gluten free. I am. So the waffles are actually gluten free. Gluten free waffles. Well, that's Foss, a pretty Red important Milk. distinction. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm not sponsored by them, but I love. They have really good.
0: We'll include waffles. the brand in the show notes. <laughs> I'm sure someone's going to buy them. Uh, okay, and um, what's the lowest recovery you've had on Whoop, and why?
1: When was the lowest recovery?
0: Like girls' night out, kind maybe of maybe
1: like twenty percent. Honestly, <laughs> I'm not that cool. I mean, no, you're focused.
0: That's what you I'm
1: are. Ma- I definitely, if I have that low of a recovery score, I brought it upon myself. Yeah, <laughs> from training very hard. But uh, but yeah, I think it was like twenty percent, seventeen percent might be low. and it was just from training, just from training.
0: Really you're a healthy hard. person.
1: I do my best.
0: Uh, plans to compete in the 2020 Olympics.
1: I hope so. I'm doing my absolute best to qualify. I. Uh, it's been my big goal for a long time. So,
0: Well, I believe in you. I think you're yeah, going to make thank it. You. Uh, where can people find you online?
1: Yeah. So my Instagram's kateplusfate, um, and my website's just com. I think those are probably the easiest ways.
0: All right. Well, we'll, we'll include those in uh, the show notes. Anything else you want to cover or plug?
1: I think we're good. I don't know.
0: But, All right. Well, yeah, well thanks so much awesome. for coming on, Kate. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks to Kate for coming on the podcast. We are expecting big things from her again in 2019. If you're not already a member, you can join the Whoop community now for as low as $18 a month. We'll provide you with 24-7 access to your biometric data, as well as analytics across strain, sleep, recovery, and more. The membership comes with a free WhoopStrap 2.0. And for listening to this podcast, folks... If you enter the code will Ahmed, that's WillAhmed that's W I L L A H M E D at checkout, we'll give you 30 bucks off. So thank you for listening, put 30 bucks on my tab and hopefully you enjoy whoop. For our European customers, the code is WillAhmedEU, just tack EU on the end of my name and that'll get you 30 euros off when you join. Check out whoopcom locker for show notes and more including links to relevant topics from our conversation. You can subscribe, rate, and review the Whoop podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you found this podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find me online at Will Ahmed and follow at Whoop on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email thelocker at woop.com with any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions. For our current members, we've got a lot of new gear in the Whoop store. I suggest you check that out. It includes 6, 12, and 18-month gift cards, help you save over time. We've got new bands, new colors, new textures. Visit whoop.com for more. Thank you again for listening to the Whoop podcast. We'll see you next week.